First Realm, Season 1, Episode 4. We heard commotion by the toad fountain, splashing, my mother's voice, and high-pitched humming. Colton, Destina, and I rushed over, knowing that some sort of trouble was most likely being caused by Colossus. My mother was holding Colossus in the air, dangling him by one of his back legs and holding another toad under one of her front hooves on the ground. The toads in the fountain were splashing erratically, and I noticed it was because three fairy were hovering near the water trying to communicate something to my mother. The three fairy, as if dancers in a choreographed production, were moving and speaking in perfect synchronicity. I noticed Pagotten was among them. My mother, straining, trying to hear them and control the toads at the same time, noticed us enter the space and tossed Colossus to me, using her newly freed hand to grab the toad under her hoof and throw him into the water with enough force to send him to the depths, buying us time to figure out what the fairy wanted to communicate to us. The toads splashing in the pond were leaping in the air trying to catch the fairy, and the fairy were dodging them but still maintaining synchronicity. Destina and Colton were looking back and forth between the fairy and the toads in amazement, "'Why don't the fairy move away from the water?' Destina asked me with a stunned look on her face. "'They are probably staying near the sundial so they can remain in the sunshine,' I shrugged and assumed, knowing the fairy prefer not to be in the shade and bask in the sun as much as possible. This must have been a spectacle to see. If I were allowed to have feelings on the matter, I would be annoyed at the toads. Destina walked toward the fairy and, like lightning, they darted across the pond and took rest on the sundial.' Destina looked at me as if asking what to do next, so I stepped onto the ledge of the fountain, walked onto the first step leading to the sundial, and sat by the fairy who then floated calmly into the air and began hovering again. The toad my mother threw into the pond was now somehow sneakily making its way up the steps, trying to climb toward the fairy as quietly as possible. I grabbed him. He was long and thin, the opposite of Colossus, who was now in my other hand. I squeezed them both hard enough to let them know I wasn't playing around, and held them next to the fairy. Translate, now. The toads, grimacing in discomfort and annoyance, looked at the fairy. Pagotten smiled at me and waved. I gently smiled back and nodded, then asked the names of the other two fairy. Pagotten made some high-pitched sounds and simple gestures toward the fairy, who appeared to wave to me as each was introduced by name. The skinny toad spoke first. What? I eased my grip on the toad just enough to allow it to speak clearer. Gavasis and Emhamin. The fairy squeaked some more, gesturing and nodding to each other in quick agreement as they spoke. Fairy move so quickly and communicate with each other instantaneously, it was seamless. Pagotten and Gavasis, the Praja fairy with the pink and purple wings, hugged each other, and Emhamin, the Fetma fairy with the blue and white wings, hovered in the air, barely moving, calmly looking at me. Destina was already over my shoulder at this point, and the fairy no longer seemed alarmed by her. I wondered if the fairy could sense the human's frailty, like I could. I looked down at Colossus in my right hand, and the skinny toad in my left, and addressed everyone present. I think this one's name is Jarmin. Both toads were slightly grasping for air. I eased my grip a bit, and they glared up, snarling. Astromus, my mother gestured from the common area beyond the ledge of the fountain for me to bring the toads to her. I walked along the steps and around the ledge, calmly handing the toads to her. She addressed them, Jarmin, return to the water and do not surface until these fairy have departed. She gently tossed him back into the fountain and with a splash he was gone. Colossus, what did the fairy tell you? 
Mm, I live and breathe to serve thee. I have yet to hear Colossus sound sincere when saying that. Your fairy claim they found more dead cornifowl by one of the kingdoms. Colossus looked pleased, not because he served my mother in his duties or perhaps assisted the fairy in communicating an important message, but because fairy communicating so much with the centaurs and dead cornifowl serve for such interesting drama and gossip among the toads. The toads will travel through their homemade underground water tunnels for as long as it takes to spread their gossip to the other Celestine toads. It's what they live for. The fairy looked saddened and nodded to confirm that Colossus was speaking the truth. They continued to hover in their perfect, steady formation above the sundial. Without warning, my mother threw Colossus into the water with such force that she startled him into croaking involuntarily when he hit the surface and we were able to hear a slight moan through the water as he descended toward the bottom of the fountain. Thank you, Colossus, my mother mumbled after the splash. Such wonderful help you provide. My mother put her arm on Destina and Colton's backs. How are you both doing? Do you feel up to visiting a fairy kingdom with Astromus? We are well, thank you, Destina spoke with slow confidence. Yes, I think we can go with him. She nervously glanced toward me for nonverbal approval of her assessment. Good. Astromus, please find our friends some shivs and follow the fairy to the slain cornifowl. Take Heldefor with you. I hadn't noticed, but Gordy joined the fiasco at some point and was now following my mother back inside, his little woven pants sagging on his hips and his sticks clanking in his quiver. I'm surprised he was so quiet. The toads were gone now, most likely already spreading their gossip and the fairy were now in the air above our collective shoulders, ready to show us the way to the kingdom where the slain cornifowl were found. I took some shivs and hip pouches from my lair for Destina and Colton, and we found Heldefor in a neighboring Celestine's cave. She was training for the hatch with some fellow Sanjuns nearing hibernation. With her were two of Nastali's offspring, a Sanjun from one of Horbrid's Celestines, and one of Cloudron's sons. I greeted my cousin. These fairies say they found more slain cornifowl near one of the kingdoms. Will you accompany us to find them? Heldefor nodded, tossed the arrow she was holding into her quiver, holstered her bow on her belt, and popped a shiv out of her bracelet, placing it in her hallum, in what seemed like two swift motions to join our quest. My and Heldefor's arrows were still very young and weak, but the bright sun briefly charged a few of them, enough to catch Destina's attention as she looked around us every time there was a pinging sound. I wanted to laugh because I could only imagine what was going through her mind as to what the noise was, but we kept moving toward the fairy kingdom. A long time ago, the fairy kingdoms used to be separated by terrain. For example, one minded the forest, another the open land, another bodies of water, and another the animals. At that time, the kingdoms were under the overarching rule of one fairy who appointed subordinate leaders to each kingdom. Now, each kingdom is independent and ruled by one fairy each, and they are no longer assigned to terrain. They mined demographic regions. The kingdom that we were visiting on this day was not the one Pigotten belongs to, which would be the one that mines the regions where our Celestine's cave and the caves of the Celestines in my father's council jurisdiction are. This kingdom is the one that Gavasis and Amhamen belong to. It is near the Celestines that Versus represents, very close to a majority of the unicorn population. 
It is further away from us than Pagatan's kingdom, far enough so that we didn't reach it until after sunset, and it is a region where the most cat in the land prevail. The fairy here are used to cat and wolves roaming about freely, and the unicorns are often protected best in regions like this. The wolves here are very different than the ones I have met, and the cat are of the wildest variety as they thrive here and have dominated this land for ages. The fairy stopped short in front of us, and Destina almost ran right into them with her forehead. Sorry, she whispered and held her hands up by her shoulders as she ducked away from them. We stood in an open field, and tiny green flashes started appearing, emerging from the woods surrounding the field. I saw Destina and Colton tense up. I offered some context to them. It's just the fairy's night vision. Their eyes do that when they need to see clearly in very dark settings. Their eyes aren't like centaurs. We can see clearly in almost any setting, I whispered. Pagatan, Gavasis, and Imhamin started humming, this time not in unison, swooping so quickly their lit-up eyes left light shapes in their paths and flapping their wings to make a strobing effect. Groups of fairy were now swarming around us. Destina looked thrilled, Colton looked confused, and Heldefor was her typical stoic self. The fairy brought flowers and leaves with them and began crafting a crown for Destina and a sash for Colton. They brought a flower to Heldefor to put behind her ear, but she politely held her hand up to deny them. They looked saddened and put the flower behind my ear instead. Based on my experience with the fairy, I knew they were going to do this. I got two flowers, the one that was meant for me and the one that was meant for Heldefor behind my ear on the opposite side. Three more fairy hovered around my shoulders, crafting small braids in the hair closest to my ears. The fairy continued to buzz and swirl around us in what looked like a giant tornado of twinkles and flower petals. I glanced over at Destina, and by this time, she had a crown and an entire dress made of flowers and vines. She was smiling in awe and slowly spinning with her arms at her sides, watching the skirt of her dress swirl around her. The fairy loved this, which I also knew they would, and spun with her until it looked like Destina was enveloped in a cone of rainbow petals and tiny green and yellow flashing lights. That's enough. Heldefor calmly addressed Destina and her newly formed fairy fan club. Having the fairy endorse her could go a long way with the felicons. The commotion ceased, and Emhamen started humming and gesturing to the other fairy. The next thing we knew, there was a horde of fairy in front of us, such that we couldn't see anything but them leading us to more humming that was getting louder with each step we took. This was definitely fairy prayer, so the slain cornifal must be close. The fairy in front of us stopped and parted as if undraping a window for us to see through it. In front of them was a large gathering of fairy in a colorful mound. I could see Destina squinting and trying to see clearer, trying to figure out whether the mound was fairy or flower petals. The humming stopped abruptly as the fairy sensed our presence, and the fairy mound moved away slower than I have ever seen them do before. There was a sorrow in the air with their movement. I swallowed hard, bracing for what might be in front of us. Heldefor put one hand on her bow and held the other by her waist, focusing calmly but intensely as the vision was unveiled to us. Destina gasped, put her hands to her face, and I could see a shine developing in her strange human eyes as they filled with tears. Colton raised his right hand to his chest, placing his palm over his heart, dropping his head and closing his eyes. He joined both of his palms together in front of his chest and whispered in what I believed to be his own kind of prayer, perhaps a human prayer. 
A teardrop fell down his cheek from his right eye. If I hadn't seen this with my own eyes, I wouldn't have believed it. The fairy revealed a pile of skinned, nearly bloodless cornifal. It would have looked like a stockpile of meat, ready to serve an entire Celestine of centaurs, if it weren't for the tiny rainbow horns, visible every so often among the carcasses. Knelt on all fours on one side of the pile, with their heads facing down and their eyes closed, were Senele, Trapezu, and Yosephin. Standing behind them, heads also bowed, were five unicorn elders with shiny platinum horns adorning their heads. Their eyes didn't move from the cornifal, and none of the unicorns acknowledged our presence. The scene was now completely silent. You could feel the heaviness of pain and mourning in the still night air. I don't know how many carcasses there were, but it was a lot, and I've never seen so many unicorns in one place before. To be honest, I'm not even sure how many unicorns exist, or how many cornifal still remain now that so many have been killed. I thought for a moment that even Heldefor could feel the pain of the situation. She stepped forward and addressed the unicorns. Are these all of the bodies? Senele's eyes opened and looked directly at Heldefor. Yes, these are all of the bodies. The bodies of almost all of our cornifal from all three of our felicons. Our young are now almost gone. I think we may be here to help you. Heldefor remained as calm and serious as she always is, and I could see her eyes glance slightly upward as she tilted her head, possibly receiving some guidance. Compared to how Versus addressed the unicorns, Heldefor's tone was very much the same, but her body language seemed just a bit cooler. But in fact, her intention and integrity parallel that of Versus in support of the Felicons. Destina walked forward, her flower dress swaying as she walked, shedding a few flower petals here and there in the movement, her crown decorating her head. Senele, Trapezu, Yosephin, we are so sorry to see what our fellow human has done. This is the most inhumane display we have ever seen, and it must not continue. Please let the centaurs help you. As she spoke, some fairy gathered around her, floating about her head and shoulders, as if to reinforce her sincerity to the unicorns. I watched, digesting the realization that this type of scene has never been witnessed in our land. Colton joined Destina and knelt on one knee next to Senele. Human, we see your sincerity, but must meet among the Felicons to decide the next course of action. We too have a council. The platinum-horned unicorns remained still, and focused on the slain cornifal. Trapezu and Yosefin both nodded to Destina, and the fairy slowly gathered to resume their prayers around the carcasses. Petals of all colors and flashing green lights silently swarmed around the cornifal, and the air began to fill with the sound of high-pitched buzzing once again as the fairy resumed the prayers. Pegaton and Emhamen remained with us, and Destina asked them what they thought we should do. They looked startled at the opportunity to provide guidance, as that wasn't generally in their repertoire, but then began humming and gesturing, and then, realizing we can't hear or understand them, sighed in unison in frustration. Their shoulders dropped, and they began floating downward. Pagatan settled on my shoulder, and Emhamen floated toward Destina, who held out her hand to gently catch the fairy in her palm. Everyone was frowning, and Heldefor spoke first. I want to find the human who did this. 
she said calmly with no change in her pleasant but serious facial expression. This was unprecedented coming from Heldefor. She didn't say she thought we should find Gareth. She said she wanted to find Gareth. I assume she was guided to feel that way, but she didn't convey her guidance to the group. So if she received it, she was keeping it to herself. And if she didn't, she was keeping that to herself as well. It seemed like she was genuinely disgusted with what Gareth had done, and was seeking to assist with bringing Gareth to justice. If any centaur could find him and bring him to justice, I would believe that Heldefor could do it. I wouldn't dare share an opinion on such a matter, though. I didn't sleep much after the trip to the fairy kingdom, so I wandered around outside the cave and gathered some wood. I carved some extra bowls out of it and filled them with pickled bark, berries, fruits, and leaves and brought them to my lair. By now, Destina and Colton had made custom spaces for themselves, and there were three neatly separated beds, a table, stools, and additional decorations in my space. I didn't mind having them there. I liked them, and they were good company, if I'm allowed to have such an opinion. I set the bowls down on the table, and Destina and Colton joined me. That's a lot of blood that Gareth managed to take. Destina was eating some berries and dried Pythangus, looking down at the table as she spoke. We have to find him. As usual, I was the only one eating the bark. Do you have any idea where he could be? I don't even bother to prepare the bark for them anymore. I don't know, but I feel like he will try to get back to Earth somehow, Destina pondered. I'm wondering if he wants to sell the platinum horn and the diamond furs to make himself rich, and maybe use the cornifowl blood to make other humans his slaves? She was still wearing her flower dress from the night before, and though the flowers were mostly crushed from sleeping on them, the dress was still very intact. The fairy are experts at such things. I had no idea what I was talking about, but it seemed like a logical question. Is there a way to communicate to Earth? Destina and Colton exchanged glances, and Destina sighed. Not that I know of. Our plan was to open another portal at the next blood moon, which Gareth claimed he had some kind of calendar for in your realm. It won't be easy, but I had the power to do it from Earth, so hopefully I can do it from here as well. The portal was supposed to bring us and our remedies back to Earth to study and practice healing with them. I asked, healing other humans? Destina nodded. Colton looked like he was thinking out loud and looked at Destina for confirmation that what he was about to say was correct. Gareth isn't strong enough to open a portal himself. Very few humans have the strength to do it. Destina, you are the only person I have met who could. I don't think there is any way Gareth is back on Earth, or that he could get there without you. The only additional power he has now is the ability to possess humans with cornifowl blood. He has a lot of it, but it only seems to work on humans, all of whom are only in our realm except for us. I'm thinking he can't make any money from the platinum or the diamond hides here. Colton looked at me as he finished summarizing his thoughts. I shrugged and nodded with general agreement. I still wasn't entirely sure what this money thing was, but it sounded logical to me. And we all mutually believe that Gareth would try to find a way back to Earth. Colton continued, It's a good thing there aren't any other humans here, or he could possess them to open a portal and get himself back to Earth or worse. He paused. Form some kind of army. Everyone looked up at the same time, and I said the words everyone was thinking. We have to keep him away from both of you. I thought for another moment. 
How do we know that he hasn't already possessed himself somehow to open a portal to return to your earth? You'd know if a portal opened. Destina was chewing leaves that I boiled in berry juice. The portal sounds like an ear-piercing storm and causes a lot of destruction around it. We did it in an open field on Earth, and the aftermath must have been catastrophic. I heard a faint croak behind me and saw a tiny toad standing in my lair, chewing and slightly choking on some berry-soaked leaves I must have dropped on my way into the cave. It looked startled when I saw it, and it hopped away, its webbed feet making sticking sounds as it struggled with the stone floor of the cave. A few moments later, there was a faint splashing sound followed by a muffled underwater adolescent croak. I sighed, and Destina looked concerned as she asked, Can the young ones gossip too? That one looked like it was just a baby. I shrugged. Toad culture had never really concerned me until recently. We heard the horn calling an emergency council meeting. My father didn't communicate anything to us that this would happen, so it probably wasn't him who sounded the horn. We left my lair to find my parents also leaving for the council. We decided to leave as a group. I was fast enough to run next to my parents, but Destina and Colton rode on their backs. We had no idea if this council meeting was related to the unicorn deaths or if something else has happened since. The council venue looked majestic with the sun rising behind it, creating a halo of sun rays, and I wondered if it was built like that on purpose or if it just happened to look like that. We were close now, and I'm not sure if it was the surprise of the horn or my intuition, but it felt like something very unusual was about to take place. I helped Destina and Colton to their feet, and we took a deep collective breath. We saw Heldefor and Gartega, Versus's son, as we were entering the venue. Tiny specks of color shined in Gartega's right eye as he grabbed my left forearm to greet me. These must be the humans. What are your guests' names? Gartega's smile was contagious, and his disposition was always friendly. Nice dress. He nodded his head upwards at Destina. Uh, thanks. <laughs> Destina looked slightly embarrassed, but relieved at the friendliness of the Sanjun. This is Destina, and this is Colton. I motioned to each of them as I introduced them. Colton reached out his left hand, and Gartega, looking impressed, grasped his left forearm above where his scars would have been, had he been an archer. I shook my head and smiled at Colton. These humans were now assimilated among us, but sometimes I felt as protective of them as how I feel for Gordy. I can't really explain it. By now, word had gotten out that they were staying in our cave, and most centaurs seemed unfazed by them. What's going on? I asked Gartega. My mother sounded the horn and then dashed away before I finished dressing. He nodded toward his helm that he was still securing as he was speaking to us. There was a small scuffle behind us. Gartega, Heldefor, and I grabbed our bows. Gartega and I, along with many other centaurs in the room, pulled them from our back quivers over our shoulders, weaving our fingers of the same hand around an arrow on the way, and Heldefor pulled hers from her belt with one hand while grabbing an arrow from her back quiver with the other. We all extended our bows, aiming in the direction of the scuffle. We saw Cloudron slowly plowing through the crowd of centaurs as if they weren't even there. We lowered our bows, exchanged glances, and holstered our archery. If Cloudron didn't draw his bow, then there probably wasn't a need for us to. Cloudron joined my father, Horbrid, and Nastily on the podiums. The sound of slowly moving hooves came from the rear of the venue. It sounded like quite a few hooves, and the sound was getting louder. We could make out Versus's figure, followed by four other figures making their way through the crowd to the front of the venue. 
Versus, accompanied by Senali, Trapezu, Yasafin, and one other figure, walked through a slowly clearing path among the centaur audience. Senali stopped in front of us and bowed her head slightly in front of Destina to acknowledge her. Destina put her hand on Senali's snout and smiled gently. Senali moved forward to join the others making their way to the front of the podiums. Why does that unicorn have so much fur on its body like that? Destina whispered to me. And no horn. I don't think that's a unicorn. I spoke slowly and exchanged glances with Gartega. And that's not fur, Gartega added to Destina. I think those are feathers. The strongest Sanjun warriors in the room, including Heldefor, of course, quickly lined up, forming the same path as when the unicorns came to the venue for the first time, this time without prepared stones and torches. They lined a clear path toward the entrance in case the unicorns needed to be removed by force and held bows and arrows ready at their hips. After the lineup was formed, there wasn't a sound in the room other than Versus's hooves climbing to her podium. I couldn't believe my eyes. No one has reportedly seen one in ages. Among the unicorns was a larger but graceful, hornless creature with large, fluffy feathers gathered neatly around her body and parts of her brilliant coat rippling and reflecting colors and light in the venue with every small movement. Even Cloudron looked stunned. My father exchanged glances with Versus as she spoke first. Council, please allow me to welcome back Senali, Trapezu, and Yasafin, along with a valued member of Yasafin's Felicon, Zostis. Zostis bowed her head to the council in respect, and some centaurs in the crowd aggressively but slowly walked toward her their hands and fists not even bothering to draw their bows. Zostis whinnied and her eyes glowed like fire. That's enough. Cloudron gently stomped his front hoof and the centaurs backed off. Zostis's eyes changed back to normal as she turned toward Cloudron. What do you want? He sounded calm, but it almost sounded like there was a hint of actual concern in his voice. Senali spoke next. We would like to ask for your assistance, as offered to us previously, in guarding our remaining cornifowl until the human is found. So you found a pile of your dead offspring, and you bring this beast to us asking for help? I don't know how Cloudron heard about the recent cornifowl discovery, but my suspicion is that the rumor originated from the toads somehow. Word had gotten out that Colton and Destina were staying in our cave, but as far as gossip goes, that's all I knew about. Zostis bowed her head, this time in aggression, and her eyes turned to fire once again, her coat reflecting thin waves of brown from the many arrows now pointed at her from some of the centaurs in the crowd. Cloudron and my fellow centaurs, the felicons come in peace. Please holster your bows and arrows. I ask that when we refer to the tragic deaths of the unicorn community, we do it with reverence. Versus has always been resourceful and good with words. I wondered if she knew about Zostis' existence prior to this meeting, or if this is as much as a surprise to her as it was to the rest of us. I mouthed to Gartega, Did you know? He shook his head with wide eyes, indicating not. Destina and Colton's eyes were darting back and forth from Zolstis to me to Gartega to the council. They didn't know what to think. Things looked like they could get violent quickly, but there were enough centaurs in the room to take on Zostis if it came to that. I whispered, Don't worry but it didn't seem to change their demeanors. Senali spoke again. Our only condition is that Zostis, Senali nodded toward the creature, remain with the cornifowl in your care. Preposterous! No! Cloudron kicked his ballot, indicating the call for additional votes in concurrence with his. 
You can take your beast and your felicon problems and keep them in your own community. Two other ballots rang. Arguments and scuffles broke out, and the unicorns looked nervously around to see if the path of Sanchunes would serve as a safe exit. Zostis's eyes turned to fire once again, and with a crack, she opened her wings enough to escort space for the unicorns to leave without injury. Order! Silence filled the venue as my father raised his voice for the first time I've ever witnessed in my life. I think everyone was as shocked as I was. Zostis is welcome among our Celeste team with the Cornifal. He kicked his ballot, and Versus kicked hers immediately after, followed by Horbrid. Nastali's eyes darted around nervously, and she and Cloudron remained still. The venue was completely silent. There were no proposals of any other kind and no additional votes ringing in. Then, Nastali looked confused as her ballot rang behind her. I didn't see her hoof move, but saw Gartega walking back toward us, possibly with one arrow less in his quiver than he had before. He winked at me. That could get him in a lot of trouble, but Nastali is known for hesitating on important decisions sometimes. Perhaps Gartega was guided to do it. Cloudron pointed his finger towards Zostis. Make one move out of line. Zostis's eyes flared with fire briefly before resuming back to their normal darkness, similar to the eyes of a centaur. Cloudron kicked his ballot, making the vote unanimous. Arguments arose once again, but my father, Versus, and Horbrid were already escorting the unicorns and Zostis to the back chambers. I was sure they wouldn't let us join them there, so we went back to my Celestine's cave in silence to wait for them.